You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. We are gathered here as advisors, as scientists. The kind of place we expect a ghost to like to wander around. Hey, we all know that we're gonna die, baby. I'll help you. I'm something of a witch. Welcome to Mission Spooky, everybody. I'm your host, Cord, and your cryptid enthusiast. With me today is the queen of everything, Kiki. And Kayla, who doesn't have a nickname yet? Kayla the Mushroom Lady. Kayla the Mushroom Lady. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> I like the Mushroom Lady. I'd also take Cemetery Lady. The Cemetery Lady. The Grim Reaper. <laughs> the Grave Digger. Monster Jam. It's in my blood. <laughs> <laughs> what, Monster Jam? <laughs> Tech, I guess both. What flavor? Now we're getting deep into spooky season. Week two of spooky season. And speaking of mushrooms... You know what we forgot to mention, Cord, like way back when we talked to Casey Sutton, and I feel stupid just for just now realizing that we missed a giant opportunity to invite him to Pennsylvania, to Kennett Square, the mushroom capital of the fucking world, like right outside Philadelphia. We're so dumb. Dumb. We're dumb. They Dang even have a festival it. every year. What the fuck were we not thinking? Dang yeah. it. Anyway. Dang it. Two-thirds of all mushrooms produced in the United States come from Kennett Square. For real. I've smelled them. No no denying they are there. <laughs> yep. Like waking up at 4.30 in the morning and smelling hot, wet manure. Best part of waking up is the mushrooms in your cup. I mean, you could say mushroom. You could say mushrooms in your cup. It's a very popular drink these days. I ain't never had no mud water before. Me... Neither. The first time I had mud water actually was when we took a road trip to Pittsburgh and visited Penn Forest Natural Burial Park. And the mm. owner, Nancy, actually uh, invited us in and, and talked to us about the whole green burial thing. And she gave us mud water and I looked at it and I was like, I have no idea what this is. But here we go. <laughs> but much like Nancy, it was delightful. Yes. That was, that was a fun day. I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, Court, Court and I like to take vacations to see dead people. <laughs> That's a way to put it. Yeah, we got, we got some good stuff today. We're going to be talking about corpse roads. And we decided that the best kind of horror film that goes with a corpse road in this case would be films that take place at a mortuary or a morgue. And boy, howdy, do we got some keepers on that one. Yes, we do. Yeah. No, no stigmata. No, you'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised to find that I don't hate my movie today. It is actually my favorite horror movie. Not to say that it is the best horror movie ever made, but it is my favorite. It has a place in my heart. I revisited one of my favorite horror movies also, so have to share that I sense a disturbance in the air, a strange, perverse excitement coming from Cord's corner of the woods. See this one? This one I like. Are you ready for this one? Oh, boy. Hey, Kiki. Yeah? What's the biggest cause of road rage? That motherfucker that didn't turn his fucking turn signal on <clears throat> and then got in my fucking way the other day and I laid on the goddamn horn. Yeah. And it wasn't on I-95, okay? So. Okay, you, you gotta step it way back. We're talking about a joke, not real life, okay? Gala, anything? What's the biggest cause of road rage? I don't know, Cord, what? <laughs> Crossroads. <laughs> God damn it. Do you fucking get it? Do you fucking get it? Laugh! Laugh, damn it! I'm protesting. <laughs> that was actually funny. You know, me and Jess know a lot of people in the music business, right? You ever heard of a band called White Line? Yeah, most people haven't heard of them. They're very uh, middle of the road. <laughs> uh, really? Nothing? That Nothing. I'm hard to please. You guys might like this one. Mm, okay. Dreamt last night I was uh, making pancakes while driving around a twisty, turny road. Yeah, it was tossing and turning. 
Uh, I guess that's better. Because I'm going out of my way to find the very best ones. <laughs> By best, you mean? The best ones to me. Hey, Cord, listen. I know a lot of uh, dad jokes about unemployment, but none of them work. All right, all right. Oh, you. All right, I got, I got one. I got one. I got one. I got one. Oh, jeez. Why did the man pull over for the specter on the side of the road? Why? She showed him her boobies. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I love having a job. That's all I gotta say. I have a role on the show. All right. So, hey, Corpse Roads. There's no talking about Corpse Roads in America without first acknowledging Corpse Roads in the United Kingdom because, well, quite frankly, that's where it all started. Hold on. Before you go any further. Oh, God damn it. Now what? You want to explain? what a corpse road is i know i know what it is but do you want to explain what a corpse road is first <laughs> i was thinking about it yeah um, okay but i have okay. to start in england because that's where it starts okay yeah. okay um, okay yeah we'll get into it we'll get yeah. into it yeah we're gonna get into it we're gonna get <laughs> into right. it it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun because it deals with dead people and you know how much i love them in a totally platonic kind of way <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, all around better company yeah, went down a, a couple of rabbit holes on this one. There were a few text messages back and forth. What I was, yeah, I was just like, can't believe I'm like having to like get into this. But I'm going to stick to the facts first <laughs> and not the nonsense. The nonsense is later. Uh, briefly, we'll get into the nonsense very briefly because I'm not going to give the nonsense too much of a uh, a platform on this particular podcast. So uh, anyway. really nonsense is not on this platform. Well, <laughs> uh, you got me there. There is some a, nonsense, we, but not like we have done our fair share of debunking nonsense specifically. Uh, oh, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is it would get mentioned as as a uh, bullshit. Yeah. OK, OK, OK. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. OK. Now, I'm not going to give it any more time and energy <laughs> is necessary to, for me to just basically say this is bullshit. And I will give you a perfect example. I have one locked and loaded. I'm ready to fire. But first of all, boom, it's the history. I'm putting yeah. the archaeology hat on for this one. This is all archaeology, anthropology. It's fascinating. I fucking love it. OK, so first of all, after 900 AD, we have consecrated churchyard rights okay prior to this is in uk you're burying your family members you know like closer to the house a lot of family plots private plots this is where the the colonies will mirror that that's where it basically ends though <laughs> and I'll, I'll explain it so right now most archaeologists and anthropologists are going to agree that uh, this was done for one particular purpose and that was so that the mother church could get its fair share of you coming and going, right? Because on the going out, you'd have to pay to be buried and for a mass to be performed for the dead. Country villages, though, they may have had their own local church for prayer and to sing hymns in. But when it came to burying your dead relatives, you needed to traverse to the, quote, mother church to take care of final business. Those who lived in the countryside were then forced to bury their dead some 10 to 15 miles away in the nearest consecrated churchyard located at said mother church. And here is where corpse roads, burial roads, funeral roads, coffin roads, beer ways, church roads, and lich ways, the best one, were Ooh. developed <laughs> were developed as a dedicated means for the dead to be carried to consecrated ground. There you have it. That is what a corpse road is. That's how they come about. I'm sold. Cool. Right? Let's go. Is okay. This where we, is this where we queue up a Boulevard of Broken Dreams? <laughs> <laughs> I walk this lonely road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, except I absolutely hate Green Day, but sure. It's a good song, though. I'll give him that. <sighs> Oof. But I like old Green Day. Yeah, yeah. I'm a I'm a punk kid. I was a ska kid. Of course, I'm going to be a punk kid. I like old Green Day. <laughs> I like the Sex Pistols. That's how old I am. Ah, yes. Well, I mean, duh. OG. But <laughs> yeah. okay. So uh, I'm going to take a moment though to explain something that most Americans are not going to be able to wrap their brains around. But folks in the UK, you're going to get this. You you've heard this probably a million times, and most likely even more now. And that is the right to roam laws. 
with the exception of Scotland, because they actually have different laws regarding the right to roam. I'm not going to get into Scotland specifically. Rome as in R-O-A-M, right? R-O-A-M. Rome if you want to. Yes. Gotcha. Currently, there's about 140,000 miles of footpaths in the UK that fall under the right to roam, and there are many more being added to the maps as of this podcast. Practice of the right to roam has led to many disagreements between landowners and the ramblers, those people who love to walk on said public, quotation marks, uh, footpaths, okay? That's also the name of the walking charity trying to preserve the right to roam. So the government has determined that every historic byway and thoroughfare must be mapped out by 2026 or private land rights will take precedence over traditional mobility. The traditional mobility is the key, though, and that's where the archaeology comes in. So if any of you are interested in digital landscape archaeology, and that's basically mapping out ancient thoroughfares such as corpse roads. So basically I could trespass on my neighbor's territory so long as I'm carrying a dead body? Currently you can use that footpath through private landholders because it's an ancient thoroughfare. Mm. You don't have to have a corpse anymore. Bummer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you want to you wanna take your friend with you, okay? Yeah, that's fine. But just, it makes for better conversation. Yeah, you don't want to leave them there. The landowner's just screaming at you, and you're like, hey, listen, I got a body. You can't touch me. Just pull the Ace Ventura when nature calls. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. Now, I've seen you there with that dead body at least three times this week. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the actual weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, it just keeps going on. <laughs> it's, around. Like, it's like month at bernie's <laughs> yeah so there is actually a lot to unpack with that particular subject of right to roam once again it's a subject that a whole episode could be dedicated to just that issue but for now all you need to know is that these old footpaths did and do go directly through privately owned land but as they're being mapped out the united kingdom government is gonna say you're able to walk on them so you might be asking yourself though back in the olden days and maybe even to some extent today how did the landowners feel about these roads of the dead going right through their backyards and in least one case urton hall directly under the manor house window Ooh. ah what a nice day. I'm just going to put this pie on this windowsill and there's another corpse. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> Pretty Oops. much how he felt about it. Yeah. Let's just say the owner did have to go through a trial. Nobody was happy. He had tried to like block off the path and he got in a lot of trouble. So like the Henry Winkler episode of King of the Hill. <laughs> People like you and old man Winkler. Ugh. So I'm not going to go like too far into the actual case, but the owner of Erton Hall, uh, Thomas Brocklebank. <laughs> oh, my God. Tommy Brocklebank. <laughs> it's ah, I love it's it. like it's like Tom Bombadil's cousin, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, except Tom um, Bombadil's nice and helps you through the forest. And Mr. Brockle, Brockle what was it? Brockle what? <laughs> Brocklebank, he seals off the pre-existing footpath that went under the windows of the manor house. And uh, uh, Brocklebank's just old man Willow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then John Thompson, well, he gets into it because he's like, I have the right of way to walk here if I want to because it's, it's a church path. Uh, screw you and your windows. And um, yeah, anyway, good times. So Thomas Brocklebank and then John Thompson because, you know. John Thompson is a very strong name. He won. So, you know. <laughs> He made that guy look like a uh, Brockle bitch. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay. So, any who's it. Yeah, you can read more about that. There's actually a book uh, dedicated to the entire case. So, in any case, yeah, they, the, landholder, the landholders did not always feel that this was like, anything to be thrilled about. And that's sure. why most of the paths are deliberately remote and far off the beaten track. Did they get the initial permission of the landowners and that's how the roads were established? Or did they just decide, here's a map, this is the closest point from A to B, sucks to be you? So that's funny. You think there's maps. <laughs> 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 maps, a pox on your maps. <laughs> oh, uh, there are, but they're not always right. Yeah, sorry. That was... <laughs> It's just me being a dick. Okay, so Jesus. Basically, it goes. 
it's it's just this right of way, right? So so let's say for centuries before that manor house was ever built, people were using this particular path to walk to the church. It also happened to become then a corpse road because they were also transporting their dead relatives to said church to be buried. And so English law at the time and currently too in a way would say that, well, since it's an ancient path, tough shit. Get over it. There you go. There's also uh, a misguided notion that if three funeral processions walk on the path through your property, then it automatically became a public right of way. However, there is no precedent in English law for that. So that was just kind of a superstition almost passed down. People kind of overstepping a bit. Yeah, which is why then they would keep these off the beaten path. Of course, a more obvious reason is folklore and superstition around the dead, spirits, and their connections to fairy folk and other realms. And now I get to do something I have yet to do in this particular podcast. In Midsummer Night's Dream, William Shakespeare addresses this with Puck's famous lines, Now it is the time of night, that the graves all gaping wide, everyone lets forth his sprite in the churchway paths to glide. Ah, okay. Shakespeare accomplished, bitch. Good shit. That good shit. Now, the main superstition around corpse roads is that spirits travel in a straight line. Therefore, you have to appease the said spirits. Corpse roads are usually in a straight line. However, the practicality of the straight line is simply getting from point A to point B faster. Yeah, they didn't have the uh, preservation techniques that we have today, so I feel like that would be a factor. Also, if you have to walk 15 miles with a body. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. Granny's not going to want to walk that whole way. (laughs) Right. Also, this is usually not going to be a wooden casket. It's going to be a wicker casket. If there is a casket that's, that's purchased, I'll get into that later. You can keep these corpse roads straight. So the superstitious part of it is keeping the spirits on a straight path. Well, then you have to have a whole bunch of ways to prevent them from haunting you. Right. And there are a whole bunch of ways. So one of them is that you make sure the feet of the person is facing away from home. So you're making sure the corpse is going feet first towards the gravesite. Is that like based on anything? Like when they stand straight up, they can just walk forward or something? Like In your mind, You'd be like, well, let's make sure that we face his feet towards the grave site and not towards the house, because that means that when the spirit comes out, it'll want to just stay here. It won't want to move back to the house. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. Yeah, you know, like in in all those classic movies where they're leaving their dog in the woods and they throw the ball real far the other direction and then you just split run like hell. Exactly. Gotcha. gotcha. But with a dead with but with a dead body. <laughs> with a ghost instead of a dog. Gotcha. You can cross over running water by bridge or by stepping stones. And we have mentioned this at least one time when discussing the headless horseman of Sleepy Hollow, for example. Headless horsemen cannot cross the water. That goes all we when we said that it goes all the way back to the notion that ghosts can't cross running water. Very true. I actually uh, think the Bargeist also can't cross running water. <sighs> Every time someone mentions Bargeist, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Wait, that episode's coming. JC! I'm keeping it alive. I'm not going to let him forget. <laughs> Sometimes the path led over a stile, which is an arrangement of steps that allows people but not animals to climb over a fence or a wall. And so the idea was to make sure the ghost stayed strictly on the designated path and didn't stray away to haunt the living but also made it slightly difficult for them to head back towards you, where they came from. Like a ghost corral. Yeah. And then at the end of every corpse road, you had the Lich Gate. All right, Henry, calm down. (laughs) So metal. God, I love England so much. It is a cool name for what is essentially a a gate for a funeral procession. (laughs) I'm taking the Lich Road to the Lich Gate, motherfucker. Which way? Lichway. Lichgates started out as a place to like just put your dead, their place there, and uh, somebody would be guarding you to make sure that people didn't snatch you until the actual funeral service, which could be a day or two. So fun or ew. I'm not sure which one fits better. The Lichgate also had a roof on it, so it would keep the rain off and was often where those people would be seated then. There'd be like little seats in there for those who were keeping vigil on the bodies. Awesome. And at that time, you know, when they're first developed, you're being buried in a shroud, not necessarily a coffin. 
And then sometimes the first part of that ceremony would be under the lich. And when do we bend their souls to our eternal power? <laughs> That's after we take them out of the lich gate because it's considered a liminal space. So, you know. Fair enough. Going from the unconsecrated to the consecrated. So uh, actually it works the other way than in that case, when we're trying to bend them to our will, that would be uh, a priest who's uh, being a dick and, and taking him from the other way. Actually wanted <laughs> to produce a revenant, you know? Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to get that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Shit happens. There's also a couple of tidbits about Corpse Rose that I find interesting in general. On some of the paths, you'll find a coffin stone for resting the coffin without letting it touch the ground. That was specifically what it was for. So people could take a rest because, I mean, you could be walking 10 or 15 miles. So even if it's a wicker basket, that's a heavy person. You need a rest. Fair. This is not to be confused with the actual coffin rest within a churchyard. That was for returning the public coffin. So let's say you're really, really poor. You can ask for the public coffin specifically to transport your loved one from your home to the churchyard. So very popular option back then and honestly also it, it kind of translates into today because you can still rent a casket for your viewing traditionally back then though the body was wrapped in a sack and so you'd be wrapped in your sack at your house and then use the public coffin transport you across the moors to the churchyard take you out of the coffin put you in the ground in your sack and then put the coffin on the coffin rest to return it for the next person to use it. Interesting. Ye old cart return. <laughs> <laughs> then the other just kind of like interesting thing is something called a fair Goethe. I had to look up how to say that. It translates as hungry grass. And this is said to grow at a place where a corpse was laid down on its way to burial, which is why you would have coffin stones instead, right? So you don't want to put that on the ground. This is what we call a perma effect. If you accidentally grow this hungry grass and then you stand there, you're going to get very, very, very hungry. There's a place, uh, <laughs> yeah, I should have probably looked up how to say this too. I think it's just Balinamore, Balinamore. Yep, I'm going to go with that. And supposedly there were women in a nearby house that had food for you in case you became one of the victims of said hungry grass. I actually thought that was just really sweet. You know, I think that's an awesome D&D &D campaign, too. In modern times, they just call that weed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Truth. Uh... True, true, true. Yeah. So then I need to talk about Corpse Roads in the United States. So I thought that's what I was going to do. I was going to do all the research on Corpse Roads in the UK because, you know, especially in our area, I wanted to focus on Philadelphia and the surrounding area first and then you know if we didn't find anything particular we'd go up into the older cities like boston for example or new york City. and guess what there aren't any and it makes sense because we didn't need them anymore we didn't need this concept of a, a specific road for transportation of the dead i'll give you an example when laurel hill cemetery in philadelphia is you know mapped out Today, we'd know it as Ridge Avenue. It goes straight through there. We were transporting our dead by either that road or, because it's right near the Schuylkill, we're transporting the dead by the river. And then a little bit later on, you have trains. So by the time our major cities are getting built, we already have that concept of, like, here's a specific place for the dead, and we don't really need to have a corpse road necessarily. I suppose that's fair. Plus, you also have uh, hearses, the introduction of a hearse, not necessarily uh, the like a car, but one driven by horse. So I thought that was kind of interesting. By the time we get to be who we are as a nation, there's really no need. For yeah. yeah but some people will, will say that Ridge Avenue was in a way a corpse road just because it was used so much like, you know, primarily to get to Laurel Hill Cemetery. But there are so many other cemeteries at the time within that area. I mean, you could make an argument and say, oh, well, if you lived in Maniunk, because, you know, Maniunk is 1700s, you know, you've got folks living there. But they already had established several cemeteries within the boundaries of Maniunk. So you don't even need to transport the dead necessarily all the way to Laurel Hill. Because that's, you know, that True. doesn't prop up until later. I did think it was interesting, though. If you are coming from Maniunk, <laughs> Ridge Avenue does cross Wissahickon Creek. 
So you do cross running water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, the fact that they, they use the actual river to transport bodies is like, well, good on you. That's a good idea. Just keep them bodies on the actual river just in case. <laughs> yeah, I think a more Americanized version of like a corpse road is more like the tours that um, people would go on when they died and like literally just kind of backpacking this body all over the country so that people can come pay their respects. Like what Cord talked about. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln's train. There you go. But yeah, so so America, America just kind of took the road away from it and did the corpse train. Woo woo. <laughs> They're more bastardized, Americanized, badasserized version. I was reading something where they were talking about how colonial, early, early colonial America, we're talking before the Revolutionary War, that the Puritans had designated cemeteries within their little areas, right? So they'd have their little town, a little village set up, and they'd bury their dead directly in the center of it rather than put it outside. There's a mention that there's not graves, gravestones weren't really used. And this was interesting because the first time that I heard of the reason that gravestones weren't used was to sort of ensure that the Native Americans who may want to attack them would not know how many had died of, you know, either natural causes or dysentery or, you know, yellow fever or whatever the case may be. What I do know is that the Puritans and the Quakers, they just didn't do elaborate headstones because everybody was seen as equal. And so everyone was equal in death as well. So nobody had an elaborate tombstone. Fair. You also run into cases of fieldstone where if it was there, it's been gone for so long, you'd never know if there was one there. And there was one case early on where I wasn't even going to talk about this, but it's it's where one of the first cemeteries crops up in the United States because someone buried their daughter and then couldn't find where she was buried because it rained. And so it, it didn't leave any trace of where the uh, the burial site was. That sucks. And he got really pissed and he did wind up finding her and inter her in said uh, cemetery. Uh, then we come to like the BS part of this. And as I was listening to a couple of English scholars speaking on corpse roads, one of them brought up ley lines. And as an archaeologist, my personal opinion is that ley lines are total bullshit. I know very little about the subject. Yeah, we want to do like maybe a quick definition for the rest of the class. You guys, seriously, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, like, what do you want from me? I'm not edumacated. Uh, okay. I ain't edumacated. Okay, so first of all, the amateur archaeologist, Alfred Watkins. I notice a lot of people say just the archaeologist. He was an amateur archaeologist. That's not to say that there weren't plenty of amateurs out there who actually gave us really important things. And it's not to say that Watkins didn't give us something interesting and important in his, quote, discovery of ley lines, spelled L-E-Y. But they're basically straight lines drawn between historic structures, prehistoric sites, and landmarks. So... It's like somebody drawing a line from Stonehenge to a bunch of other Neolithic sites and saying that this is some kind of line of spiritual power. Okay, so like saying that they're all related because they're on the same plane. Yeah. It's like ancient conspiracy theory. Yes, it is a conspiracy theory. For example, today I discovered a ley line in Allentown. Really? I am calling it the pumpkin spice ley line. Hell yeah, I'm drinking a PSL right now. I was just about to make a Wawa joke, but go on. <laughs> uh, it has basic bitch energy. Yeah. And um, I've managed to connect five, possibly six if I go off just a little bit from my line, Starbucks in a straight line. I was also able wow. to take three Starbucks at a time, like six separate Starbucks, each one of them in the center, right? Like, so there's three of them in a circle. In the center of each one of those is a university. Ooh. It's yeah. almost like college kids drink <laughs> a lot of coffee. It's almost like a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> totally a coincidence. Also, I would like to point out 
that the six Starbucks in question, almost all of them occur on Hamilton Boulevard. So uh, there's your straight line. There's my straight line. Because what's the fastest route from point A to point B, folks? Hamilton Boulevard. A straight line. <laughs> and the next step to cracking this mystery is to find out what the hell Alexander Hamilton has to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. On the subject of, of ley lines, then took me to another thing that I think is also total bullshit and has actually been proven time and time again to be total bullshit. And that is dousing. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're about to offend. You are about to offend. Oh, uh, yeah. I am going to offend. You're going to insult pumpkin spice and dowsing in the same... Se oh, man. It was a good run for you. I'm not insulting pumpkin spice. <laughs> I, I stand by my ley line of pumpkin spice <laughs> on Hamilton Boulevard. All, all five, possibly six. I've watched too much James Randi to believe in dowsing. Yeah, so... um. Dowsing as far as just finding water is also completely coincidental because you can pretty much dig almost anywhere and find water. If you dig deep enough, probably. That's that's the thing. So also, you don't need a, a dowsing rod. We actually have equipment that does the same thing that is 100% accurate every time. So, yeah. I'm not even going to get into the spirituality of that because I also had someone once tell me to use a dowsing rod to find a ghost. What? And that's actually very popular, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. It was like, so you want me to use an unproven method of finding anything to find something that I also am not sure exists. Dowsing rods are kind of like in the same toolbox as like a pendulum. Yes. People also use pendulums to find these ley lines as well. Well, here you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. There are things that I will totally entertain on Mission Spooky. I mean, yeah, we did test out the spirit box and the cards. You know, we, we did our, our our share of testing on stuff. But I, I definitely did not give any credence to the spirit box when I took it along the test. You know, I will stand by pendulums. I have had some freaky experiences with pendulums, which don't necessarily mean they had anything to do with the pendulum. It could have just been there was something going on and that was just like the item that it chose to reach out, like throwing something across the room. Like maybe that was just the thing. Easy communication tool. Yeah, but I've seen some weird shit happen with pendulums. And see, that's but where I'd have to say that it becomes a personal use item perhaps the only credence there is that the energy is within you not the item absolutely it's a focus tool to me and my experience pendulums are along the same line as tarot cards nobody touches my tarot cards nobody touches my pendulums yeah well no one touches my dowsing rods so there <laughs> yeah not even you right <laughs> yeah. i was just gonna say i'm <laughs> Uh, yeah, boy, I'll tell you what. And honestly, I'm I'm in agreement with on, on the archaeology side that if Alfred Watkins knew what ley lines were being used for today, he'd be renouncing it loudly. What are they being used for today? As these like energy vortex things, and you can just look at all of these special places that are all in alignment. And oh, uh, so it just uh, it just snowballed out of proportion. He literally was just trying to prove mobility pathways during ancient times. And that's right. all they are. In, in most cases, that's literally all they are. It's just a point A to point B to point C, point D. That's it. It's a roadway. So he misspoke once and now everybody thinks like the lich door is, is a way to summon a lich. He didn't even misspeak. He literally just did the research on, hey, I'm going to call these ley lines. And these are kind of roadways that exist. And we can trace them like right now. And then the pseudoscience and pseudo-archaeology people got a hold of it and were like, they're lines of power. And it's like, no, that's not what he said at all. He pulls out this parchment like, hey, check this out. And they're like, magic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. I do not understand this. It is magical in nature. Uh, yay. Yeah, I know. And, and then, like, they're trying to use corpse roads as, as another example of ley lines. Because, uh, as I 
pointed out, many of these corpse roads do go over the moors or over rocky terrain or whatever, but... And they're straight lines. It was landowners didn't really want them going through their fields in the first place. They're definitely kind of suggesting that they go further away. You know, like, <laughs> you should go over that mountain. It's great. The spirits won't follow you. You know, like, it's too difficult for them to get over that pathway. Or in some cases, there'd be, stair, there'd be a staircase, like, put in there. There's a, a set of what's called fairy stairs. Yeah, I forgot to mention this. Well, it's funny. I forgot to mention the staircase. But yeah, that's going to be our very next subject, talking about liminal spaces. Stairway to heaven, baby. Yep. Anyway, there you go. There's your tie-in for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so basically, it's just an alignment of random points that are completely by chance and circumstantial. Or they're literally just points on a map that are part of a road that already exists. Gotcha. So there's a little story. I'll end on this because it's kind of funny. You know, you think these are supposed to be a somber experience, okay, right, but... You would think. So there's a, a book called uh, Witchcraft and Superstitious Record in the Southwestern Districts of Scotland. Ooh, that's a mouthful. A little bit, yeah, it's, it's a big word. <laughs> it was published in 1911 by J.J. Maxwell, and he suggested that, especially during the periods of 1700 to 1800, that these corpse processions would be, on occasion, altogether quote, altogether outstanding in social importance. And it was an occasion, however, very often marred by a profuse drinking. He goes on to talk about how a funeral party in one instance had wound its way around through deep snow on their way to Moffat Churchyard. And when they arrived at the burial site, it was discovered that they had dropped the coffin on the way there. <laughs> that apparently it had fallen off the cart and uh, they were apparently so inebriated that they hadn't noticed. <laughs> Oh, my God. Hasn't that happened to all of us at one point or another? I love Scotland <laughs> so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's like, well, we've mourned our friend. It's time to bury him. <laughs> Where is he? Where'd he go? Ah, <laughs> uh, for fuck's sake. You just pitched the beginning to Weekend at Bernie's 3. It's, it seems like the plot of like a season three Always Sunny episode. Now it's time to bury him. They look around. Where'd he go? Just cue the... (laughs) On that note, I did attempt also to look up corpse roads in the United States. And I did come across one corpse on a road. So I'll share that with you. Back in 2014 in Bucks County, there was a coroner ambulance driving down the road. And for some reason or another, the door locking mechanism in the back malfunctioned. And for some other reason, the gurney that was holding the dead body was not in any way strapped down. So it, along with all the other contents, rolled out onto the street where the passersby did not stop, as is Pennsylvania tradition, and just continued to drive around this dead body. (laughs) And if you you Google it, uh, there are pictures that people did take of this body just sitting on the roadway. Um, Eventually, people did stop to help the person because the driver immediately recognized that they had lost the body. Thankfully, and it, it was wrapped up in a sheet, so it's not it's not a graphic image or anything. So don't worry about that. But they did end up getting together and getting the body back on the van. But I think it it breeds a really interesting fact. I guess an interesting topic in general, which is what do you think qualifications you need in the state of Pennsylvania to transport a body? A driver's license. Ding, ding, ding. That's it. Hey. That is it. In Pennsylvania and New Jersey and California as well, which I'm going to just tie in because they have similar rules for body transportation. All you need is a driver's license and the paperwork saying that you can carry the body. There's a lot of independent contractors now that are basically making their own funeral transport companies with a bunch of guys who used to be movers who are now just coming to pick up oh, dead no. people and <laughs> they they have their own equipment they're getting like these vans and they have no training at all like no no like sensitivity training that that's out the window your transporter could throw your grandma in the van with as little regard as like if they were moving your waifu pillow oh no because a lot of these people the only 
stipulation that the people who hire them is is that they need a strong stomach they don't train you in how to deal with the families or anything like that you're on call 24 7 and your only thing is to go pick up this body and drop it off where it's going in california they actually brought a lawsuit about it because they were on call 24 7 they were not being properly trained and this is disturbing because they're not only do they not know how to talk to the families, but they have no idea of any of the health and safety protocol at all in dealing with a dead body. Oh, Lord. They don't know why these people died. They don't know in certain situations, should I handle this differently? How to properly contain the body to avoid leakage and such things. So they actually brought a lawsuit. And in the lawsuit, they were complaining. One of their biggest complaints was that the company required them to bring their own body bags to work. So as opposed to New York, like a proper state, requires you to have a funeral director sign off on all the transportation of bodies. So like you're properly trained, you're properly vetted, and somebody who's actually credentialed is in charge of moving this body. Just a fun fact about Pennsylvania and moving bodies. And I'm glad that we chose uh, the funeral director that we did when it came time to take care of my dad because they're extremely professional and uh, and you're right like that person came and he was wearing a suit and tie and he had two guys that were helping him because my father died here at the house it was a lot nicer and I can't even imagine not having had that <laughs> you know yeah. like just random people showing up because there was that level of professionalism there and they were very kind and like oh we're so sorry for your loss We'll take care of him, you know, you know, you know, he's gone, but it's it's like there's that taking care of the dead part that for so many of us is extremely important. Wow. Um, did not know that. I'm a very big supporter of um, establishing good relationships with your local funeral directors. If you don't know who your local funeral directors are. The best time to get to know them is before you need them. Right. Yeah. And especially yeah. as we get into we get into spooky season, we can talk about death. We can talk about spooky things. I know my my funeral director personally. He knows me. And I'm hoping I don't have to see him for many, many years, but I know him and I know his son. And it it's a really important connection to make to know when you go who's coming to get you and it's somebody that you like because you you have the opportunity to choose that and that's a very rare opportunity in the world yeah most people don't think about that i'll get down off my soapbox now it's just <laughs> you're an advocate you're allowed that's my whole thing this was an interesting subject yeah it's pretty cool like i said didn't really know about uh corpse roads in particular because they're not something that we find here there is one example technically in the united states and that's out in san francisco we don't cover california stuff so if you want to search that up there's just one road that technically is considered a corpse road in san francisco and that's really the only one that has that sort of moniker like i said there's plenty of roads like ridge avenue that could be considered one but historically and locally not really called one all right we're going to take a break before we get into our movie reviews here at the end and you're going to listen to a great song called when daylight disappears and that is from panic priest i love this guy he's again it's a goth song goth can't help it it's october that's what you're uh, gonna get yeah. you're gonna get goth for a while okay panic priest is awesome last time that i saw he was previously on tour with vision video another band that we like to promote love goth dad <laughs> <laughs> scott dad is fucking awesome yeah so check him out he's on Bandcamp. he is on instagram that's where i usually follow most of his stuff and when we get back we'll do our movie reviews hell yeah
Welcome back. You guys ready to talk about some movies? I'm in a much, much better mood to talk about movies than I was last week. Yes, totally. So this is supposed to be our th- our little three minute, about three minute, you know, review. Give or take. We're, we're very loose on that time limit. I'm not going to go on a rant this time. I did not understand the assignment. Oh, you're fine. Well, that was our you're fault. Fine. So that's fine. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> I'm just now beginning to do that uh, episode. I was wondering <laughs> maybe I should start from the, start from the back end forward. <laughs> Just take out the 25-minute rant about stigmata. <laughs> it was a movie. No me gusta. <laughs> my movie choice this week was arguably my favorite horror movie that I've ever watched, which is The Haunting in Connecticut. The Haunting in Connecticut has absolutely nothing to do with the story on which it is based. The ghost story does not even add up. I am not quite sure even why they took the name and tried to play it together. It was just part of the hype that was based on a true story, but none of this movie is based on the story. I encourage people to look up the actual story of Haunting in Connecticut because it is arguably more horrifying than what happened in this movie. But as for the actual movie Haunting in Connecticut, it was directed by Peter Cornwell. And I find this movie to be the fabulous representation of the generic formula of horror movies you know with that the plot like chord like you described with the nun last week it has that family moves into a house there's something going on something creepy is happening there's a bunch of scares then there's that false bravado where okay we solved the problem oh but not really that's a whole genre movie and i enjoy it and i'll watch that any day as long as it's done well And I think that this movie did it very well. The actors, all of them in this movie are fabulous. The mom and the dad that have a great dynamic, they do a really good job setting up personal struggles in this movie where where the son is experiencing some things and you can't quite tell is he experiencing them because he's sick or is he experiencing them because something's actually happening? And then you have the outer characters dealing with their own problems, which kind of naturally divides everybody from the coming together and trying to figure out what's going on in the house. It actually stars Virginia Madsen, who is the main female lead in Candyman, which is ah. another, another fabulous movie. And the the man who plays the reverend in this movie is just a fabulous actor. He he portrays the role so well. The scares are basic but legit. I really enjoy some of the visual aspects, not the CG of it, but like they try to be thoughtful with it and it is. Like he's spinning the table And he's looking down through the table and he's seeing a scene unfold and he doesn't want to stop spinning the table. So he doesn't want to stop seeing what's happening in the scene and the kid's screaming for him to stop. And it's not that he's possessed. It's that he's driven to find out the truth of what's going on in this house. The scare factor, it's creepy. The ghosts in this movie are creepy. I love it. I have a fun time watching it the whole way around. The children actors... They're children actors, if I have to pick a negative part. It gets kind of wacky at the end, like a little over the top. But I think if you're coming to watch this kind of movie, that's basically what you're coming to watch it for. This movie is my number one in the genre. That is my condensed, not angry, ranting review of (laughs) The Haunting in Connecticut. Kiki, is yours a negative review? Are you going to be angry about yours? Here's the thing. I was so angry about my initial one that oh, yeah, I... Oh, yeah, you watched another one, right? I watched another one. What's interesting is that they are the perfect example of something done poorly when you had every opportunity to do it the right way, and then something that is spectacular because it's done the right way. So I'm going to give you a quick uh, review of both movies. Because they are kind of like, they're diametrically opposed and yet like the same. You didn't do that on purpose? It just came out that way? (laughs) Just came out that way. Both of them have similar endings. I chose The Mortuary because uh, it had Denise Crosby in it. 
What gets me is that the, the Mortuary is a 2005 film. It feels like it's a 1990s film. It starts out as a possible ghost movie, and then it goes into something else. So it's sort of like you had the opportunity to do this fantastic horror film with a ghost in it and a haunted mortuary, and you just fucked it up. Definitely not ever going to watch it again. It is, it is not worth the rewatch. Then I watched instead, because I was so angry, <laughs> I watched The Autopsy of Jane Doe. That is from 2016. That is a great movie. Like everything that they give you, all the little possibilities, those those little things that they do in horror films where you're like, that's going to get used again. It does get used again. And it's amazing. Autopsy of Jane Doe is basically like they find there's a dead body. There's a murder. She doesn't make any sense, though. Like when they find her, they're like, where the hell did she come from? And what is what is the meaning of her? She gets taken to a mortuary and a father and son team try to do the autopsy and a whole bunch of really weird shit happens. The one thing that I liked about that was that you're watching the autopsy happen and they're finding out little clues as to what how, what happened to her, like how she died and stuff. And I think as a viewer, you're probably going to figure it out before they do, but still worth it. Really good payoff at the end. Cool. I'd watch it. Just for shits and giggles, I also uh, rewatched Murders at the Rue Morgue. Yay. Doesn't happen at a morgue, but it has the yeah. word morgue in it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, eh, while well, I'm on topic. <laughs> for shits and giggles, I just went to a morgue. <laughs> <laughs> she really did not get the assignment this time. She was like, I'm going full tilt. Not a review of a morgue. I'm going to get a trocar and I'm going to test it out and see how it goes. And I'll, I'll review that next week on Mission Spooky. Okay. So the movie I watched, dude, I love this movie so much. It's such a great movie. I did the movie Reanimator from 1985. Do you ever watch this movie? Either of you? Yes, I have. Oh, my God. This movie's great. No, I have not. <laughs> it was the first movie that Justin ever showed me um, when he explained to me that he loves body horror. Yeah. I was like, I don't really understand what that is. And he said, sit down. <laughs> now you do. Yep. Okay. This movie was directed by Stuart Gordon. It cost about a million dollars to make. The box office was $2 million. So technically they made money. This movie... I'll preface it with with a couple warnings, okay? This movie is filmed smack dab in the middle of the 80s. It is an over-the-top shock horror movie, all right? This is a gore fest movie. There's a lot of body parts flying all over the place. That's warning number one. Warning number two, it was a horror movie in the 80s. There is a lot of nudity in this movie. But I will say, they do not discriminate on the nudity. Yes, they have a hot lady in the lead part that is taking your shirt off every scene she's in but they have a fair amount of man ass cheeks and there is an entire zombie chase scene where there is an exposed dong laying on the ground so <laughs> they do not discriminate with their nudity in this movie in any way there is a fair share of it and the two serious warnings there is a major scene in this movie that revolves specifically around pet death, but to be fair, they did it in probably the most hilarious way they could have possibly done it, intentional or otherwise, and there is about a minute and a half of this movie that gets really rapey. They cut it off before it gets bad, but like... It it got really uncomfortable for like a good minute and a half. If you're not cool with those things, you might not want to touch this movie. This movie is a shock horror movie. It is a modern retelling of H.P. Lovecraft's Herbert West reanimator. The main character goes by the same name. It's Herbert West, just in the 80s. Main story of this is the main characters are all going to medical school. Most of this movie takes place in the morgue in the medical school herbert west who is the main character but not always what the movie focuses on is a super genius in brain science think of him essentially as if doc frankenstein was in the middle of the 1980s this man is a super genius he invented a reagent that when injected into the brain will wake someone back up from the dead, will awaken all of their responses. They're completely alive, quote unquote. The problem is that 
a lot of the times the dosage is wrong and people when they wake back up do not act the same way so a lot of this movie is him experimenting with dosages which is gross it has some gross uh, after effects but once he gets it down it kind of starts blurring the lines between is this a zombie movie or what are we talking about here it gets very strange very quickly the special effects in this movie are definitely the absolute greatest thing i've ever seen in my life he's essentially running around injecting what looks like the contents of a green glow stick into a bunch of people's skulls with a giant syringe and it makes them wake up back from the dead like regardless of damage done to the body or anything like that so you know the Again, this is a gory movie. There's a lot of messy scenes. The story is very good. It's super compelling. I think the big reason that I love this movie so much is that nobody in this movie comes out of it looking like the good guy. Herbert West is definitely not a good person in any way, shape, or form. He's fueled by his quest for knowledge and will do literally anything in this movie to forward that knowledge. For the most part, everyone comes out of this looking like the bad guy. And I have some very interesting trivia that I just looked up on IMDb because the first little trivia, the special effects department for this movie went through 24 gallons of fake blood filming this movie beautiful the average is about two gallons for a film like this they <laughs> used 24 gallons of blood that's just to put it into perspective the second little trivia that i have for you is david bowie when he did the second greatest story ever told parts one and two he worked with the cinematographer that worked on this movie and David Bowie found out it was the same cinematographer. He ran up to them and like confirmed it because he said that Reanimator was his favorite movie, <laughs> which is strange. I would not think that David Bowie would be into the body horror gore fest movies, but what a compliment, though. Right. Of all the people, this is my favorite movie. Thank you for making this. Hell. Yes. <laughs> cool. This movie is not a movie that'd be up my alley. I'm usually not a body horror guy. I'm not like a gore just for the sake of having gore person. I, I actually like hate it in most movies, but this movie does it so right. I have seen as someone who has seen this movie as well. I can agree. It's not my genre at all. I, I don't watch gory, bloody movies. It's just not my thing. But when I sat down to watch this movie, it is captivating and it is entertaining. And you have to appreciate the amount of work that these types of movies put into their props. There's a lot of practical prop work in this movie. They did a really good job on a lot of it. And to be fair, you know, a lot of it does look cheesy, but this is 1985. It's going to look that way. Have you watched this movie, Kiki? Did you say that you did or not? No, I didn't. I did not watch this Oh, movie. man. I got to make you watch this movie. It's, it's so good. All right. So hopefully we gave you guys uh, some cool stuff to, uh, you know, watch during spooky season. Hell yeah. That's the whole point. Get your horror movies in during the spooky times. We give you these good suggestions for a reason. Embrace the classics. Yes, I've grown to love these classic movies like this. Well, that's a wrap on mortuary movies and corpse roads and ley lines and dowsing rods and dowsing rods. Yes, <laughs> there we go. As always, stay spooky and don't die. But if you do, contact us. And make sure you walk in a straight line through the lich gate all the way back to your friend's house and haunt him real good. Yeah, he tell us about it. <laughs>
Destroy one night to be your toy.